Oh, am I supposed to keep doing the like radio dude thing? You don't have to. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be talking about an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine, the televisional show about the TV cops. I was going to do the pilot voice. Uh, well, you're not now. <laughs> Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl, and her name is Arthi, and today we're talking about Captain Peralta, an episode of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine television show on Back in the Field, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine television podcast. Thanks, Carl. Arthi was drinking water, one of many technical difficulties preventing us from recording this podcast. Welcome. Should Welcome we, home. Should we try that again? Welcome home. Father Peralta, to the Brooklyn. Uh, what happens in today's episode, <laughs> Arthi? <laughs> All right. Uh, today's episode really only has two plots. In the A plot, Jake is really excited because his father is coming to town to visit. And uh, turns out all of Jake's hopes are set to be smashed into the ground like a snow globe full of memories. Because his dad's only here to talk about drugs. Specifically, drugs that he's been framed for possessing and taking across the Canadian-U.S. border. Or was he? Yes, he was. <laughs> Though, honestly, I had some serious doubts in the middle there. He probably still did it and just framed his side, side, side girlfriend. I can't tell which one she is. It doesn't even matter, because, whatever. They're all basically Fox News They're anchors three anyway. three sides of a triangle. Now, she speaks French. She could oh, never yeah. be a Fox News anchor. That's true. She would be killed by firing squad. In the B-plot... Wait, no, we're, we're not done. We're, oh, we yeah, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, after being disappointed yet again by his father, Jake finally listens to Boyle and goes to his father and cuts him out of his life for seemingly good. Though we all know that Bradley Woodford will be back eventually. In the B-plot... In the B-plot, Holt comes around with a witty brain teaser, and everyone tries to solve it to get the tickets to the Beyonce Noelle's concert. They do not succeed. And instead solve the real mystery, which is that Holt doesn't know the answer to the puzzle in the first place. And he's just continuing a long-standing tradition of bad captains tormenting their police officers. <laughs> Despite Google existing, we'll get to that. I mean, Holt is a proud man, but apparently not above manipulating his, like, inferiors. Though, honestly, why Gina didn't Google it is beyond me. Yeah, for real. Maybe she's too busy tweeting. So I guess we'll just dive into it. Um, let's talk about Jake and his dad. Can we his... talk about how much this is really a pre-Google plot? Because this plot doesn't work anymore. Because you solved it by Googling those words. Because all the brain teasers are old. Yes and no. Yo. I had actually heard this riddle, or variation on this riddle, a long time ago, uh, involving bags of gold, where one of the gold is counterfeit. So same principle, but different, um, different like, words. Less fat shamey, as Terry would put it. And more plutocratic. Yes. Remember when he freaks out about the weight-obsessed society nightmare? That, you know, I appreciated that. He's triggered pretty hard in this episode. Yeah, seriously. Terry and I share similar triggers. I can't have donuts. I can't I have donuts French either. Fries. Well, you want poutine. No, I don't. I can't have poutine. It's got gravy in. No, they have vegetarian poutine. But why? What do you mean why? Do they use vegetarian gravy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. Some some place the good poutine places have it. I was in Montreal last May. They definitely have the idea of vegetarian gravy kind of weirds me out. I mean, it's mushroom and like flour based. It's just I like mushrooms and I like flour, but the idea of making gravy out of it is still a little weird to me. It's like how I wouldn't eat vegetarian pork cracklins. That is that is too far. Yeah, it's basically the same. Yeah, I eat mock duck though, but that's just seitan. mock duck is delicious. Yeah, it's seitan. Anyway, yeah, this is definitely a pre-Google plot. Like, I mean, admittedly, I had a leg up on everyone else because I knew the... You knew that the riddle actually existed? I knew the riddle actually existed, and I knew the more common version of the riddle, which isn't Islanders, it's bags of gold. So. But the same principle applies. Should I spoil the ending? Should I explain it? Yeah, you should explain it. There's no (laughs) prize at the end of this, like, podcast. Well, I mean... For having figured it out. (laughs) Well, for those of you who haven't seen the Tumblr post yet, the answer to the riddle is pretty complicated, but it boils down to the simplest one is, if you take eight of the islanders and put them on the seesaw, assuming they balance... You put four on each side. You just don't put all of them on one side and assume that it works out. Yes. So, eight of the islanders, you number them, right? So, you spray paint one, two, three onto them. Then you have them get on the seesaw. I think they are literally identical. I think you can tell that they're different people. No, I like them all being Tyrese's. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. Googling Tyrese. (laughs) Anyway, you put one, two, three, and four on one side of the scale, and five, six, seven, eight on the other side of the scale. Assuming they balance, you know that it's 9, 10, 11, or 12. Put 9 and 10 on the scale. Assuming they balance, you take 10 off and put 11 on the scale. If 9 and 11 balance, you know the answer is 12. If 11 is in any way different weight than 9, you know it's 11. The end. That's the answer. That's the simplest, most direct way to the answer. If 1, 2, 3, 4 doesn't balance with 5, 6, 7, 8, it's crazy complicated from there. I recommend just giving up this hollow pursuit, but that's just me. I'd be more motivated with a bag of gold. See, now I'm all, like, getting into it, because you don't know if they're lighter or heavier, so. But you don't need to know. You do, though, because if you don't know if it's lighter or heavier, you don't know if it should go up or down. Why? So if one, two, three, four doesn't balance with five, six, seven, eight, right? Which which is the wrong side? Is it the up or the down? You don't know. You're right. Sounds like we're fucked. <laughs> we should just bite the gold and see which one bends. The bend is the proof of the realness, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Gold is very soft. Yes. It's not a great plate armor. Excellent. So, anyway... More important questions include, uh, is Beyonce Marcus's Pilsner? You're going to have to explain for the class. (laughs) So, we have been bitching about how Teddy had more discernible personality traits than Marcus. Most notably that Teddy enjoyed Pilsners. And Marcus doesn't have anything going on in his life. (laughs) Except apparently Beyonce. Well, so my counter-argument to this is, Yes, we know something he likes, but liking Beyonce isn't a character trait. The absence of liking Beyonce would be a character trait. But, like... But why? Because, like, as soon as 
Rosa says that Marcus likes Beyonce as if it's a unique fact about him. Uh, Gina yells that everybody loves Beyonce. Which is an accurate statement. I mean, there's people who don't love Beyonce. They don't exist. No, they do. No, they're cats. They don't I, exist. No, they're not cats. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're French. They don't exist. French? <laughs> I don't believe French is a real language. We have what? our own memes on this show. Come on, Carl. Oh, I just don't get informed about our memes. But, like... Wait, the memes we made up? Yeah, no. Including the fact that I don't believe French is a real language? Just like people who First don't... First time hearing about it. What? Garbage! I've mentioned it multiple times. Audience, so settle this for us. I'm just going to convince you that this is a Truman Show. <laughs> Am I? This might be the Truman Show. I don't know. Anyway, point being... Point being that it's explicitly normalized towards liking Beyonce in this scene, in this show. Such that, like... I mean, the idea that this is anything unique about him is immediately contradicted. So... So Marcus continues to have no personality whatsoever. Yep. Yay! Actually, you had a great idea that, like, Marcus should laugh at Holt's jokes. He should find them genuinely hilarious. Yeah, to mark him as a, a weird outsider to the entire culture of the precinct. And also a Holt. Yeah, but I bet his parents don't laugh that much at his jokes. Holt's parents? Yeah. Yeah. They're much more reserved than Holt is. He does call his mom Runner. Speaking of moms, why did we meet Jake's dad before we met Jake's mom? Uh, I would much rather have met his mom. And I know a lot of people on the internet who agree with me. Yeah, his mom sounds like a pretty rad individual. Probably because of the patriarchy. (laughs) What? Explain. Well, I mean, actually probably because they like, at some point they were like, hey, Bradley Whitford, we should get him to do something. Who should he be? He should be Jake's dad, whatever. (laughs) And that's what happened, right? It was, it was, they found someone they wanted to be Jake's dad before they found someone they wanted to be Jake's mom, probably. Yeah. But I don't know how this shit works. Uh, but, like, do you have theories on why? Why we met Jake's dad before his mom? Yeah. Terrible creative choices? No. (laughs) No, I don't know, I don't know why I'm annoyed by it. Because, like, I would have much rather met his mom. I think that the show, part of the show's, like, dialogue about itself is that somehow Jake's dad is more informative figure than his mom for having disappeared, which is kind of bullshit, but, like, it's kind of held up by how much Jake, Jake obsesses about it. Yeah. I, I will say, so we'll tie this back into something you mentioned that I wanted to save for the Jake, his dad relationship conversation at large. One of the things you said while we were watching was that all the bad things about Jake come from his dad. So the implicit there is all the good things come from his mom. And one of the things that we have really appreciated is that Jake is consistently like very respectful of and towards women and doesn't have a lot of patience for people who aren't. Yeah. And you like, when when I commented that that Jake's worth quality from his father, like it 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 it, was, it started from like a small thing, like how they both said great name at the same time. Mm-hmm. But this kind of like narrative complex of their own lives, 
like wanting to tell their own story and like wanting to take elements of other people's lives as part of that story, right? Is is this kind of I think kind of unhealthy thing going on with them, uh, and kind of annoying. And the way that uh, uh, Roger steals the limelight is is something that Jake loves to do, and which is really unflattering about him. All the mannerisms that we see Jake having taken from his father are the ones that are more annoying, basically. It makes me wonder what his mom is like. It really does. Well, but you've already answered that question for yourself, though. I guess, yeah. I mean, um, she was clearly a strong figure in his life because, like, all the things we like about Jake, his sweetness and his, like, willingness to trust and... And um, and his respect towards and for women are almost certainly the work of his mom, who, by the way, is totally Emma Thompson. So I guess Emma Thompson's schedule is probably a little more full than Bradley Whitford, which is surely the only reason that it hasn't been Emma Thompson yet, besides the fact that she's British, and as we've had even more indication this episode, Jake has never met a single person from the United Kingdom <laughs> in his entire life. I don't care. I don't care. Emma Thompson can do an American accent. She's done it before. She kept it up for two solid hours. But why would they bring her on to do an American accent? I don't care. I love her. She's probably Jake's mom. How mad are you going to be when it turns out that Jake's mom is Helen Mirren? <laughs> <laughs> it still gets you. I kept that line on her before, and I was really mad that I didn't get to make her snort on the podcast, but now you're all resubjected to it. <laughs> if it's Helen Mirren, I will die. But but in in my defense, Emma Thompson is blonde. That makes sense within the, the canon. Jake's dad it goes for blondes. Yeah, but he did... Leave her. I, you know what? Yes. And I think in part, I wonder about that. I don't think Jake would have said he has a thing for blondes if he were including his mother in that category. I think he would have figured it out. I think that's too gross. I could be wrong, but... I don't know. I, so, okay, I was actually thinking about this before when I rewatched it earlier, but it kind of sounds like maybe he tried for a while there. Like, he really tried to be a dad. Roger. Ages zero through seven? Yeah. Maybe. That's a long time for an adult. Well, I mean, he was always a pilot, right? Yeah. So he was probably leading a double life for much of that time. I, which makes me wonder if, like, his dad didn't leave so much as his mom made him get out. Maybe. But I think that she would have had an open talk with Jake about that. That part's true. Actually, no. This is a televisional sitcom. There's a 0% chance that she would have any emotional honesty with her child about important life moments such as that. You know what? Because it has to be revealed on the show and a surprising thing. Cause, and there's precedent for that. Because... Leslie's mom has some sort of open conversation like that with her about her dad. Yep. Yeah. On Parks and Rec. And therefore it'll almost certainly happen on this show. Yeah, so I would actually be willing to bet money that 
He didn't leave. She made him leave. Are you willing to bet money that it's going to be Emma Thompson? Because I'll take that action. <laughs> Not a lot of money, but yes, I would put money on it. Okay, five bucks. Five bucks is enough. All right. Handshaking sound effect. Yes. <laughs> you heard it, listeners. Hold her to it. <laughs> five dollars. It's going to be adjusted for inflation. It's going to be like a million dollars. 4% inflation is not going to get it to a million dollars. I have seen the future and it is bleak. <laughs> All right, Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, I really thought his dad did it. Yeah, I mean, I'm still not convinced that he's get, his dad didn't do it. Really? Yeah. I'm not convinced that he's not complicit in some kind of smuggling operation, right? Because he's so unbelievable. Like, maybe he didn't get caught for this, but, like, the dude has no morals at all. He's living the life of a sky pirate. <laughs> I love like, that. Like, he has a wife in every port. You're right. You're From right. Albany to Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> and various other regions. Man, air- airline pilots do not do well on televisional sitcoms. Elucidate. They, huh? Elucidate. Uh, I think it was Matt Damon in um, 30 Rock. Oh, yeah. Who was, like, super angry all the time. <laughs> so, Bradley Whitford did it and is going to Sky Trail. Probably. Which is in the same complex as the Sky Mall. Which is bankrupt. <laughs> and going away. Both morally and fiscally. Yeah, well... They didn't actually make a lot of morality withdrawals, so I don't know. You can't really be bankrupt in a substance you aren't trading in. Oh, I meant respectively his father and Oh, okay. (laughs) No, his father seems to have some money. Well, his father is morally bankrupt and Sky Mall is fiscally bankrupt, respectively. I wonder if he had stocks in Sky Mall. Then he'd be fiscally bankrupt as well. Hope not. Can I, you have stocks in Sky Mall? Well, you can't now. No. I think Air American Airlines was the sole proprietor there. Um, I did like that we saw Peralta, uh, Captain Peralta and Captain Holt meet. They're the same shape. <laughs> it might just be the uniforms, but like... It's definitely the uniforms. They did a very good job of like f- framing them together, but I think they are actually basically the same shape and size. Are Bradley Whitford and uh, Andre Brower? Andre Brower. Well, yeah. they're kind of like similarly aged older dudes. Yeah. That's all. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of how did you similarities feel, between them. How did you feel about them casting? Hmm? How did you feel about them casting Brad Whitford? I think that this is the perfect evolution of the J- Joshua Lyman role without any talent. He was so great on Trophy Wife, though. No, I'm not saying that Bradley Whitford doesn't have talent. No, no, no. I realize this. I'm, I'm making a more general statement of I'm he can be funny. I'm that Josh Lyman was already kind of a ladies' man gone to seed, and then just ladies' man gone further and further to seed in the sky. I think he's a great <laughs> casting for this. And I think that he did a really, really good job of matching Jake's energy. Like, I think that Bradley Whitford knocked it out of the park in this episode by... Finding the groove that Sandberg that Sandberg was in, and and just nailing it. It's the mark of a. I mean, he's a. So I know a lot about Bradley Woodford because I used to be a big fan. And uh, before the dark times, the Studio Sixty times. Is that a thing? 
So yeah, Sorkin's show after the West Wing was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. This is pre-newsroom, pre-Charlie Wilson's War. And Pre-Sports uh, Night? Post-Sports Night. Because oh, okay. the West Wing came after Sports Night. So after the West Wing wrapped, he cast Matt Perry and Brad Woodford as... Well... Where say, have I heard Matt Perry's name? Friends! Yes. Jesus. He was also he was also the Chief Justice's aide, primary aide on the West Wing. Which Chief Justice? So Chandler Bing makes a couple of guest spots on I didn't know who he was then. Um I've now watched a few episodes of Friends, I can admit it. I've watched like two seasons. You gotta get to the fourth, man. That's when it gets good. No. <laughs> it's such a popcorn show. You can just pick it up and drop it down. Maybe I'll just jump. Is that when uh, Monica and Chandler start getting together? Yeah, fourth and fifth. I admit I'm into that. Like, Ross and Rachel can jump off a cliff. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't care but about I, them by the but end. But I like both Monica and Chandler, and I like them working out together. So I assume I would like them getting together. Yeah, just jump ahead. I also did, however, like Monica dating Tom Selleck. Yeah, I'm on that now. Yeah. <laughs> that part is good. And she dates, um... She dates, um, she dates, oh, God, what's his name? John Favreau. I'm sorry, that means nothing. He directed Iron Man 1 and 2. He's okay. happy on the Iron Man movies? The oh, chauffeur? He, that guy directs? He is the director of those movies. Huh. Oh, happy. He's the reason they got Paul Bettany to be Jarvis's voice. So, they were making Iron Man 1 on the shoestringiest of shoestring budgets, and all of the money was going into visual effects. Of course. So, like, they had to have, like, Robert Downey Jr. donated the use of his cars for Tony Stark's <laughs> garage. And Paul Bettany was called in to do a, like, cheap as fuck voiceover work. Kenny literally phoned it in. <laughs> He's so mad that he has to be a person now. He's, He's so, so angry. Mad. He's so angry. He's like, I thought I had the perfect gig going. <laughs> Now I have to be a person walking around this acting shit from the birds. He's like the opposite of Ian McKellen, who's just wandering through green seas, green screens looking sad that he doesn't get to act anymore. That's what he said about the Hobbit movies. He's like, I'm just in a room full of different, like, Colored faces. Colored sticks. And, no, faces, like little paper cutouts of faces on sticks. They oh, look here no. and there. Why? For pretending to act. Because he's a million feet taller than everyone else. Oh, God. He buddy. can't be in the same scene with anyone. But they did such a good job faking it in the first movies. Yeah, and you know what was better than the Hobbit movies? Everything <laughs> else, but also the Lord, the Lord of the Rings movies. And also Jupiter Ascending? Yes. Yes. I just want to keep that meme going. People can fight me. No! Jupiter Ascending doesn't have GoPros. The Hobbit 2 has GoPros. For the barrel scene. They put a GoPro on a barrel and threw it in a river and were like, Go, Hobbits, go! Fuck the Hobbit. You mad, bro? Yes! <laughs> Don't you pull that internet shit on me. Me? You. Hey! I'll do what I want! Don't you read at me. So I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to I'm ready to piece out of this podcast. I'm so sorry. We have to cut all of that out because we were actually talking about Bradley Whitford being a terrific actor. Oh right, let's get back to talking about Bradley Whitford being a terrific actor. Never cut anything in post. 
I'm cutting a lot in post. You're not going to have much episode left. <laughs> that's fine. We're on 29 minutes. <laughs> that's not that's not the first time we'll have cut like 40% of the episode. Okay. Don't have to stay here for another half hour to record and play some material. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so over, over at the AV Club, LaToya was saying that she thought maybe Bradley Whitford being on set was rubbing off on Sandberg, which is why when you said he did a good job of channeling Jake's sort of inherently manic energy... I thought it was really interesting because, like... Well, I wasn't saying that he was... He, I wouldn't say that he was channeling Jay's manic energy. I was saying that he was a good job of being a reflection of that character. Mm-hmm. And Jake actually leveled out a lot around him when he wasn't, like, just bouncing up and down. He brought out a kind of maturity in Sandberg's performance. That's, yeah, that's actually really what I want to talk about. I think this is probably the best dramatic work he's done in the series. I wouldn't say that, but I'd say it's up there. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm tired of all of the dramatic moments happening in the bar lighting, but they all seem to happen at Shaw's, right? <laughs> in or around Shaw's. To be fair... Bars. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about how, like... You know, because I talk sometimes about that one guy at the place, and... What guy at what place? <laughs> The bartender at the bar, the, <laughs> that the guy, man at the moon. That guy used to have a huge... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. like, I think about, like, the... Where we would always hang out was where we always had our big, like, weird moments. Like, important moments. Like, emotional moments, right? Sure. I mean, so what I actually mean is... What, what I mean to say about bringing up the Shaw thing is that I feel like this isn't a big evolution of Sandberg's performance of Jake. And, like, the the writing kind of cuts it, undercuts it, because it jumps from point to point way too fast. So I think that's Like, the... it spends a lot of time being a really kind of bad rendition of Jake in this episode. Do you think it was too close to pilot Jake? I mean, he was, he was doing all the things, right? He was dismissive of a boil, and he was believing in bad guy for no reason. I mean, reason, but, like... That's Pontiac Bandit shit. Yeah. It just felt like a... I mean, it was a retread on new terms. Of, like, earlier... So the reason I'm, like, trying to specify if you mean, like, from earlier and really early on in the show is because Dan Gore wrote this episode... Well, it's kind of the through line of Jake's development. And there's some parts of him that haven't really changed since the beginning of the show. Which is good. come back up in unpleasant ways. <laughs> I thought that his confrontation with his father was really good acting. Yeah, that's, what, that's more what I'm specifically referring to. We've talked about his, like, micro-expressions with... Like, at the end of Tactical Village and so forth. But I really liked the scene with him and his dad at that hotel room. What I liked was how it was kind of... I mean, I was just saying it was undercut by the plot, but it was also supported by a bunch of small moments where you can see Jake, like, subconsciously turning on his dad. Like, when he's talking about how many people he's cheated on, but you can't blame a guy for dropping anchor at Commodore's Club, which, you're a sky pilot, dude. You don't have an anchor. Is that why your landing suck? <laughs> yeah. I think also I I 
There's also that like really nice expression shift at the end when Holt says, "I'm proud of you." Mm-hmm. I actually really like that. I yeah. liked it, and I thought it was. I think this is probably his one of his better Sandberg's better like dramatic, ep, like work like yep. this season maybe. When he goes in for best actor in a dramatic performance, he should submit this episode. He's not gonna fucking do that. And that's the thing that drives me crazy is that like I love seeing I love seeing actors show more sides of their work, like their ability to do good work. I I've always appreciated that. Whether it's Bradley Woodford on Trophy Wife being hysterically funny, or if it's you know Will Ferrell in Stranger Than Fiction being really really subdued and yet still funny, but also like heartbreaking. Right? This is these are good things. It's good to know that somebody has range. Same with fucking Sarah Silverman. I loved her when she goes dramatic because she's good at it. I liked it when he took the hat after that and walked with a goofy expression on his face to hide the pain. The like smirk. The, like the like it was like a silent guffaw. But I see and to me I read that as him being like proud of himself for finally making a decision. It was that too, but he also had it was just a goofy expression. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, I'm going to be a kid about this, and he can't fucking stop me. Yeah. I'm just going to steal his hat. I mean, the hat was definitely way too. Because he wouldn't let me wear his hat, because he's not a good dad. Because he wasn't around. Yeah. He couldn't wear the hat that wasn't there. Oh, jeez, I think I just made myself really sad. You can't wear the hat that isn't there. It's like the least inspired children's book title. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I liked... And LaToya mentioned it, too, and I really liked it. But I also, when I finished this episode, I had, like, very few feelings about anything except the Jake Holt moment. By the way, we're not talking about the B-plot because the B-plot is worthless. It's boring. There's nothing happening. It's boring. It's filler. It's the filler. The donuts were kind of funny, but it's boring. There's some good gags, but it's effectively filler. It's yeah. just... Yeah, it, it's like... None of the character arcs mattered, and they were just spinning their wheels. Yeah, which kind of sucks, because, like, Amy, whatever assertion arc Amy has going on... Was Wasn't like, in this episode. No! And in fact, her, like, consistent, like, that stricken expression on her face that she... And she just starts drinking. To be fair, she thought that she was going to have a shot at this, and then it was taken right away from her. I know. Well, and but the Gina-Amy, like, um, needling... Thing came back. We haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, but it wasn't... A, it just wasn't good. That's why we're not talking about it. Yeah, it's terrible. I, don't, I wasn't into it. Um, I, and you know what? That this that kind of just makes me think... Like, something about... Even the A-plot was kind of off. Like, it kind of was forgettable. Uh, the case happens entirely off-screen. Fine. The only... The thing I like... I the get the prints on screen. Uh, but we don't we don't see them match it to anyone. We uh, was it the bartender? Was it someone else? Who was it? It was the bartender. Oh, it was. Yes, he said so when he came back. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he got the fingerprints from her in a dramatic confrontation. Okay. What I want to talk about is how we're not going to talk about Skelly's performance at all because he was left behind in Quebec and we'll never have to see him again. He's coming back. Yes, I know. His his like thing that Jake's like shut up, store Scully. No one cares. I was like, no, wait, actually. One time I do care about Scully. Which, oh, and he was left behind. At the Louvre! Yeah. For, like, some indeterminate amount of time. He's very cultured. Apparently. No, he's very cultured. Yeah. He is a professional-grade opera singer. I love that you put... He lived in a museum (laughs) for probably a year. He was goddamn, (laughs) what, the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankenweiler? You'll have to... I'll have to take your word for it. There's, a. 
There's a book where two yeah, kids... Yeah, I know there's a book, but I just... And I know it starts with the mixed-up files, but beyond that, it's all a mystery to me. They live in a museum for a while. Oh, cool. That's the... That's, that's the, like Scully, yeah. That's the entire point. You learned about sharing when you had to divide a pizza in half with a pigeon, which is the eventual basis of his friendship with Hitchcock. Oh, God. How did you know? Um, um, is that in the book? No. No, okay, cool. I'm just guessing. Based on his current... P.S. Uh, I love that they, like, draw a line down pizza boxes. Yeah. Do you think that's, like... I don't understand why they have to, like... Pizzas divide perfectly in half. I don't know why it's hard for them. I bet that's a Hitchcock problem, not a Scully problem. Like, Hitchcock, Hitchcock will just keep eating man. the pizza. Yeah. Scully's just a better person than Hitchcock. It's so obvious. <laughs> like, when they're apart, Scully's being all lovable and pathetic, and Hitchcock's being a terrible, grabby monster. But then, but then again, like, when they're together, Hitchcock's like, uh, Hitchcock's, Hitchcock's like, you said this was a self-evaluation. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, he's sticking up for Scully. No, he's, kept, he's, I mean, he's sticking up for the two of them. But, like, Hit, Hitchcock is the more rapacious and grasping of the two of them. He's just less lovable. Partially because he has no talent. So does that... So is, is, is Hitchcock Amy or Boyle? No, Hitchcock is Hitchcock. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. No, Hitchcock <laughs> is Hitchcock. Don't, didn't, didn't Jake say you're just like him? I mean, a lot of people have said that about Hitchcock and Scully. <laughs> They do it to insult each other, but they're their own people and no one's going to turn into them. All right, all right. Do you want to talk about the other burning questions? I don't know what they are. Um, so not really, but sure. Boyle's Tasty Restaurants is the only thing left. So it makes sense that Boyle is not one of the people who's focused on, like, the Michelin star, every plate is a special shape that costs an extra $25 you know, all presentation bullshit. Because he's, like, an investigative food blogger who, like, carries a spit bucket to pizza places and loves hole-in-the-wall food, right? If it's good. He's not at all squeamish about presentation. I mean, he will try to present things if he's doing it because he knows it's important. But when it comes down to it, he was asked about what a fun night out on the town with his dad was, and the answer is a place where they can eat an infinite amount of sausage. And just sit at dinner forever eating sausage with each other, right? That's the point. They can eat that meal forever. Thousand sausages, oh my god. Hungarian song was very funny. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It was like something birthday mountain, birthday, birthday, birthday. It was birthday mountain sausage, sausage, sausage. Er, birthday mountain ad sausage, sausage, sausage. That's what it was. Yeah. What amazing song. We, this is, I don't know if I liked this episode. I was super... I think you liked the soundtrack. Spirit in the sky. By the way, um, this one's for Marshall Boone. Um, whoever did the editing for that scene where they, when they cut from Jake walking away from his dad to the bar where the rest of them are talking about the, like, how Holt is going to handle the riddle. Hire that man or woman. No, I, I mean, obviously they have. The person's working Continue on the show. Continue to hire that man or woman. What I was going to say was that editing was terrific. It was just nice, like, whoever did this. really smooth. Yeah, and, like, the sound editing was great because they transitioned it from being, like, this, like, sting to, like, the background music to the bar. And it continued and, all the way to the end. That was one of their best joke deliveries in a while, I think. The way they used it first for them doing the thing. 
And then for Skelly going to the bathroom with the great, like, uh, cinematography, that, that was hilarious. And they use it again for the emotional triumph, and then blend it into the scene to transition Jake back to the scene. It's just a really, really great uh, building elaboration of the comedic element. Plus, it's a great fucking song. Yeah, apparently. It's a great, it's a classic. I have no music in my soul, so I wouldn't know, but... I've got the music in me. It is a great fucking song. That's a reference to another song. <laughs> Fool me once, Devin Athen. <laughs> I won't be fooled again. So we're going to transition to Spec, because I don't, I don't have yeah. anything else about this episode I want to talk about. Well, I don't know anything about Spec, so lay it on me. I'm uh, Wait, audience, if you have other stuff you want us to, like talk about it's too late <laughs> but send us asks and i'll answer them eventually um eventually being the keyword there i've been kind of busy you guys i want to talk about a little bit of spec so i was reviewing spoilers that we've gotten so far from the show um this isn't going to be next week's episode but in some point in the future they bring in another love interest for amy and he's some handsome guy is the name bake why? Because it's like Jake. <laughs> I watched the episode of Friends where Rachel dates someone Russ. named Russ, and that's when I decided the show was bullshit. Because <laughs> who would need a replacement for fucking Ross Geller? Fuck Ross. <laughs> Fight me. Fight me! No one, no I've one's... I've also been watching Archer. <laughs> no one's gonna fight you. Ross is the worst. He's so much worse than Joey, even. Joey at least has that lovable scamp thing going on. Yeah. Joey's got a heart of gold. He's not always got his heart in... He's got his heart in the right place. His mouth and brain usually aren't. And dick. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks with a little too less of his brain. But I was reviewing these boys, and I forgot that they are going to introduce a, a love interest for Amy. He's this, like, older, like, kind of legendary cop on the force. Blah, blah, blah. And, like, they both have some serious hero worship. But then, like, I guess... There's speculation that he becomes a love interest for Amy. I actually kind of hope he becomes a love interest for Jake, but I'm a bad person. <laughs> that doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't make you a bad person for wanting them to subvert the easy, like heteronormative culture of the television sitcom. That makes you a good person. Oh, well, or, then... or at least an avant-garde person. And it's not even fucking avant-garde at this point. Like fuck off, TV <laughs> mores. So I think they're because because they're bringing in what could be a love interest for Amy. I think we're gonna see a big run of Jake and Amy stuff towards the end of the finale. I was thinking about this the other day, and a bunch of people on Twitter and I were talking about this about one-off characters coming back because okay. they've had a lot of one-off Carls, Carlines, and yeah, Carloses, whatever. There haven't been any Carloses soon. <laughs> we just gave him a free idea. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Season three, the age of Carlos. So, what? Uh, what? Like, I would love to see like Sister Steve come back from like season one, the Halloween nun. Like, what one-off like random extras who were way more developed than Marcus would you like to see come back on the show? Tall, bald Asian detective. <laughs> you didn't have a name. At least Sister Steve. Steve got a ba- oh, like tall, a- bald Asian detective. <laughs> I'd like him to have a line. Yeah, and a name. He's an act. He's a he's an extra. He probably can't act. You don't know that. <laughs> I've heard. I, it's true. I only have this from like reports of actors on sets who are like, "Thank God we don't let the extras talk." <laughs> oh. 
Anyway, I want to see Sister Steve come back. I would like to see way more Savant. I don't think any of the random criminals are going to come back. Well, Sister Steve was not oh, wait, a criminal. Sister Steve was mugged. <laughs> he was a victim. I feel like you're asking for bad things to happen to Steve. <laughs> well, Sister Steve could... Sister Steve's never going to be a sister again. That Halloween costume's cursed for him now. <laughs> sister Steve could come back and report a crime. Yes, <laughs> that have been committed against him again. Hopefully not against him, but I kind of... Why I, else would he report the crime? Maybe he witnessed a it's crime. Too complicated. Oh my god, Carl. <laughs> maybe he witnessed something. Like Super Dan. Maybe Super Dan's sidekick. Oh man, Super Dan. Super Dan should totally come back. Unless he's in witness protection. Because he did rat out the mob. We gotta go. <laughs> We've gone too deep. I'm so sleepy. On that note, <laughs> my name is Arthi. My name is Carl. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Prepare for takeoff. <laughs>